what is it like to mother twins one who's neurotypical and one who's neurodivergent in today's episode gopika kapoor a neurodiversity consultant author of five books podcast host and mother of twins shares how having a spiritual perspective has helped her in her almost 18 years of mothering journey we talk about the time it takes to fall in love with children and slowly growing to enjoy them for the persons they become we discuss the challenges of seeking help the empty nest syndrome and of course mom guilt This conversation with Gopika Kapoor was warm, reflective and full of nostalgic elements. You definitely want a fragrant cup of chai with this one. So hello uh, Gopika ji and welcome to our uh, podcast. Thank you so very much for agreeing to come on. uh and also thank you very much for the advice you gave me i think more than a year ago uh i remember we had a very brief conversation and i was just thinking about starting this podcast uh and someone connected me to you saying that you do it on a regular basis and a lot of the tips and tricks you gave me kind of i i held on to it and you know i started uh, applying it except for one i think which was about the length of the podcast i think because you said um it has to be a certain length i went into such a frenzy thinking about it talking about it and you know uh, you really made me wonder think and really uh, connect to the whole process uh, that i was about to embark upon uh, and i actually sat down and made notes when we spoke and i kept going back to it as i went through this process uh, of course but we are now in season 2 and i feel like i'm a little bit more familiar little bit <laughs> not still as much uh, so i'm very excited to have you on and you know talk about uh, your whole journey and your whole experience as well thank you veena uh, really excited to be on this uh, and it's uh, lovely to particularly lovely i think because uh, i had spoken to you before it started and so uh, in a way it's like uh, nice to feel that i was part of the process and now uh, and i'm a guest here on the podcast so thank you very much for having me glad glad so i'm just going to quickly let uh, the audiences know a little bit more about you uh, our guest today is gopika kapoor she's a neurodiversity consultant she's an author and also a parent advocate she has a masters in journalism from northeastern university boston and has written best selling books spiritual parenting spiritual pregnancy spiritual relationships and spiritual success all published by hay house india uh, apart from that of course we're going to hear a lot more about you but let's let's begin with that question what how how would you describe yourself of course this is a formal bio but how would you describe yourself uh i think i would describe myself as someone who's always excited to learn different things to experience different things um i don't like the same old thing so whether it is conversation whether it is uh you know even the arrangement of furniture in my house whether it is the same kind of food um at this uh, on the other hand uh, ironically i am a bit of a homebody i love being at home or uh, reading or watching something and just very comfortable just being in my pajamas so i think i am what you would call an ambivert which is a term my daughter made me aware of very happy to meet new people uh, very happy to travel very happy to uh, you know have new experiences and kind of you know go all out there and stuff but at the same time equally happy to be at home with just my family or even by myself that's, that's complete bliss for me 
so uh, that's um, who I am. I also feel that I am um, realistic, but with a tinge of optimism, or rather a healthy dose of optimism, uh, I would say. Um, and so while I'm not one of those people who's always seeing the sunny side of life, no matter what happens, and is annoying me uh, to some extent <laughs> in that sense, but I do generally tend to see pos the positive side of things, uh, do try to find some positivity in everything that uh, kind of I'm approached with or every situation that I'm in. Um, and I think this comes out of a strong faith. Uh, faith in uh, just the universe, the, the powers that be that are larger than us, uh, the mystic law which governs the universe and um, really the fact that we are just players in this entire scheme of things and I think uh, recently the NASA images that were taken of the universe just kind of reinforced to me how much we are just like not even like a literal like a speck uh, and yet how how much we kind of uh, give importance to all the stupid little things that we think govern our lives so i think that's basically a mixture of who i am yeah thank you so much for sharing that i, I mean uh, i think that is so true like i was uh, telling you <laughs> while prepping for this episode everything that i was reading about you from you i watched a few of your episodes as well uh, this was the thing that really stood out to me, which is this ability to like, you know, uh, within therapy, we call this looking at the bigger picture, uh, right? And not getting caught up in the small little details, uh, like you said. Uh, and I think that uh, analogy with the universe is so true, right? We're such a, just a tiny uh, little speck, you know, and uh, I think I, I read something to that as well, um, which I found beautiful is, uh, and the universe gets meaning from the way you experience it, right? So how much of our own assigning of meaning, uh, assigning of narrative can change and transform our experience. Uh, you know, I'm a huge, huge believer of that. Uh, so I found that. And of course, uh, you know, uh, this is something my husband was just telling me a few days ago, um, mental health before the word was even coined, you know, what were, what did we do for mental health? And he's like, uh, the best thing we did was religion, right? That was exactly right. what we did, faith, right? Giving it up to uh, an acceptance, which is essentially, uh, even in modern psychotherapy, that's what we work towards, right? Acceptance of our situation and kind of making, working um towards uh, that so yeah I am glad you bring that in of course the whole spiritual perspective um, so from that uh, segueing from that uh, did you always know that you wanted to be a mother is that something you always were connected to uh, no <laughs> I did not I think uh, there was one period of time in my life when um, I thought forget it I don't want to have kids um, you know, and I remember my husband being quite shocked <laughs> that, that, that I was actually feeling that way. I have, uh, a, my sister and my brother are much older than me. So I first became a mother, so to speak, to my, my eldest niece when I was 14 years old. So literally we grew up together in that sense. And she is who I call my first baby. She is now going to be a, a mother herself. So it's a very exciting time for all of us. Um. But uh, so I always had kids in my life and very, very involved in every aspect of their life. Um, but I, I hadn't had any clear thoughts about mothering or motherhood or what I wanted. And um, I think uh, 
when I became a mother, uh, you know, one reads all these very rosy accounts of how you look at your children and you just see, you know, you see divinity and you fall in love with them and how it's the most beautiful, wonderful experience. I mean, honestly, I was huge. I had really bad gas. I was uh, in pain. Um, I was uh, being taught how to breastfeed in a very... Uh, uh, how would I say, brutal fashion almost. I had two kids who would not sleep through the night. And so honestly, I was like, what is this? Where is this divinity and this romanticism and this this whole I love you kind of thing? Um, I think uh, it, it realistically, it took me about three months to really fall madly in love with my children. And uh that is something and then when it because there were times when I would almost feel a sense of detachment uh, you know that oh who are you like what are you doing here um, you know uh, I was one of the lucky few who did not experience postpartum depression uh, because I know that that is something which a lot of mothers experience uh, I did not appreciate uh, experience that I had very supportive family I had a very supportive husband lots of help around me but I would constantly look at these two and say, what are you doing here? And plus, you see two of them together. So it's like, my God, what am I supposed to do with you? Um, and I think it was only when they were about three years old, when I would look at them and feel that, that what people talk about, you know, that not three years old, sorry, three months old, that three years is too long. Um, you know, uh, that, that rush of love. Um, as, as people kind of describe. And of course, it's only grown more and more and more uh, every single day. Um, but um, so so that was my, my whole thing. I didn't know I always wanted to be a mother. Uh, but once I became a mother, um, I felt like this was what, that, that I could not imagine my life without my children. Um, yes. There were times when I wanted them gone out of my sight. Uh, you know, I did not want to have anything to do with them. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the love, I think, that you experience for your child. And when I say child, I'm using child very um, uh, broadly here, whether it is a human child, a pet child, a fish, a plant, uh, whatever it is. It could be uh, some, you know, an, a, a a niece, a nephew, a friend's child is something which I think is just really amazing. Um, you know, because it's completely, completely unconditional. So currently the love of my life uh, is not my children. It is my uh, little fur baby, Jazz, uh, who is a one and a half year old French bulldog whom I absolutely adore and whom I've thrown all my parenting handbook strategies out of the window for so she's a complete spoiled brat wow that sounds <laughs> lovely <laughs> and I, I i mean i really appreciate you bringing in uh, this whole aspect of um, giving space and time for the relationship to build with your child right and i think this whole expectation and that's the problem with um, having just one narrative uh, of motherhood which is unfortunately where we are right now we have like this one story you uh, you want to be a mother, you become a mother, 
uh, and you know the minute you have a baby it's like a love story uh, you know and it's it's not like that it takes a while you get to know each other <laughs> you understand each other's rhythms uh, you know and like any relationship you you kind of take that um, time to get attached really and to feel everything right of course it's everything that you described and more uh but it takes some time and sometimes we can some sometimes we can be very unforgiving to ourselves in that time right until it's like happening immediately we feel like you know there's something wrong with us uh, yeah because every when... other relationship i think that you cultivate in your life i mean uh, apart from your family which you're born into but even if you say you have a younger sibling uh you take some time to really i mean it's not like straight away you love this this sibling you take some time or when you make new friends you take some time to get to know them and really love them uh when you meet a partner you take some time to get to know them and fall in love with them so why are you expected to look at this child who is also a stranger to you i mean you know yeah sure they've been within your womb but essentially they're strangers i mean i would look at my children and say who are you um you know where have you come from what am i supposed to do with you how am i supposed to understand you and know who you are um and so of course it takes time you know even though though they have come from within you um it's it's not it's not that it's an automatic switch which goes on and you're flooded with maternal love at least it wasn't in my case you know there are a lot of people with whom it is that way but i i think it's it's uh, so romanticized that if you don't feel that way uh you feel that you're lacking somehow or you feel that you're not a good enough parent a mother or a you know especially mothers i mean i i think probably my my husband fell in love with my kids uh faster than me or earlier than me but that's maybe because he wasn't feeding them and doing all that so so yeah no absolutely absolutely i'm so glad you uh you know share that uh so just moving on from that initial postpartum period and this whole you know uh, discovering your kids up until 3 years how how's how old are your kids now how is you know how's the journey been up until now after that what's that been like my children are almost adults they are 17 and a half um they are their own individual personalities uh we have a situation where we are a family uh where we have one neurodivergent twin and one neurotypical twin and uh both have added tremendous value to our lives um and so the whole journey has been one of ups downs extreme highs extreme lows uh and now we've arrived at a place where i think we are all very happy in each other's company uh when the kids were little the first anybody who wanted them i would say take them give me a break <laughs> you know now we are all just really happy with to be together um love doing stuff together love going on holidays together uh you know playing board games together watching movies going out to dinner uh, and it's really lovely to to have that with your almost adult kids uh and it's uh, I, i mean i i really enjoy their company i really enjoy who they become uh i can look back and i uh, can see them at various stages in their life and i cannot believe that they they are doing what they are doing now i cannot believe how far they've come i often joke with them and say please become a little baby again i cannot bear the idea of you growing up and i want to cuddle you again and 
hold you again um but uh, it's just been lovely and i i love who they've become and i'm very excited to see who they will become and what they will do with their life yeah absolutely i think this whole sentiment you're talking about that you know grabbing them like why are you growing up so soon i think i have that breakdown weekly <laughs> if not more and my son is only like three and a half okay and already i'm like can you become smaller please when you didn't have so many opinions and so much to you know <laughs> fight out it and any everything is all about independence right uh, i'm sure you've had this phase and it's all about i want to do this by myself i want to do this by myself you know so you feel like oh my god after three years three and a half years of just doing everything uh thinking of them it's this is like a newish beginning of a new phase yeah so i've always been one of those mothers who have been um happy to let their children uh fall and get up and try uh and so i am a little more of the risk taker uh my husband is a little more of the uh you know the cautious one and uh, looking at our personalities or initially if you meet us you would not think that it is that way but i'm the one who say let them go into the sea let them like you know i'm there let them when they were little go up the jungle gym or crawl into the tunnel or whatever it is uh we'll see we'll see what happens and um i think that kind of continues those roles continue i am happy to uh, let them try new things because i think ultimately um they're growing up in a world where they have so many choices whether it is a choice of what sport to play whether it is a choice of what uh, extracurricular activity to take whether it is a choice of what to study uh, what to wear uh, what to uh, do with their lives in terms of career and um i think there is a lot to be said for figuring out what you want to do and um kind of eliminate you know kind of you doing trial and error and then eliminating what you don't want and eventually figuring out what you do want i think my own life has been testimony to that fact uh because i started out with a masters in journalism ended up working with um ngos doing communication and program management went on to write five books uh then worked as a therapist um with a child developmental clinic uh starting out in fundraising moving on to becoming a therapist moving on to becoming a trainer and now my work involves working with corporates to uh train them how to hire and recruit neurodivergent individuals so i think that is like i mean there's nothing which could have mapped <laughs> that there's nothing linear about that at all um uh, you know and uh it's just been things that i've figured out and uh or that have just come my way and i've taken advantage of the opportunities and just it's it's just been right place right time in that sense and so you never know what life throws at you and i think we just need to be prepared for it yeah absolutely i think that's that's uh, that's one thing that i also struck out to me when you know uh, i was preparing for this that there's been such a range uh in everything that uh, you've done even the five books you've written of course the common string is you know uh, the spiritual perspective but it goes from parenting to success to relationships to you know really maps out everything uh you know so uh, and of course like you said the current work you're doing diversity work which i think is really um it's a good time to be in that space 
you know there's so much to bring in there's so much to you know it's like the gates have opened and it's 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 a good time to bring in everything uh, right but uh, i would really like to understand this whole experience of like you shared um uh, mothering uh, first of all twins which i mean honestly there is a set of twins in my son's class uh, and i went up to the mom and i said i have no idea how you've done this like how does this math even work <laughs> like how do you feed care for and you know especially because i think in my head the images of like one caregiver uh, you know so i think i keep thinking of how is it that we are going to uh, how how do you do two at a time right so absolutely and uh, as you said your experience has been of uh, one uh, neurodiverse and one neurotypical twin so you know uh, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, what that's been like so when i found out i was having twins my first reaction was oh shit <laughs> what am i going to do how am i going to manage um, what am i going to be able to do with my job how am i going to be able to look after these two uh, i i had no clue i was completely completely lost um and of course as they grew uh, you know it it was as i i mean as they grew within me it was something which was very fast becoming a reality until i think about four or five years ago i would still look at them and say i have twins like really like how did that happen um but it was challenging and a lot of fun um it was challenging because of course there were two of them which means everything has to be done twice everything has to be like two like change two kids bathe two kids feed two kids uh, and it was exhausting i don't think i slept properly through the night till they were about two and a half um and uh, so really it was very very exhausting but it was great fun uh, then when my son was a month short of 3 we found out that he uh, is on the autistic spectrum and that itself was challenging because uh, you know how do we deal with therapy what do we do uh, there was a lot less awareness at that time than there is today and so really trying to grappling at straws what should we figure out what is the right kind of therapy a uh, lot of questions um is he going to go to a typical school like a regular school uh, what is he going to do how is he going to work uh, you know i mean all those questions what is our life going to look like uh, again because this was what 14 and a half years ago a uh, lot of stigma at that time it wasn't out there as much and so uh, in terms of um, how do we tell people would look at him and say why is he like this and especially because of course he had a sister who was blabbering non stop talking very friendly very outgoing so all that was really really it was hard um i think when we started uh, talking to people about it and starting being being really open about it which was about 4 or 5 years ago not very not very far back is when things really kind of fell into place because until then yeah sure friends knew family knew but like i didn't talk about it like you know if i went to a party i would not like people said what would you do i'd say i work at omi which is where i'd work and they say oh have you done a masters in psychology and i'd say ah oh, yeah you know diploma something something and try and brush it off i wouldn't tell them that i'm there because i'm a parent uh and uh that of all changed of course about 4 years ago um but uh again the whole thing of twins was i had lots of support 
um, I had a lot of help uh, with family, uh, with support staff, um, and also I think what we realized very very early on is that they are their own individual personalities. Okay, uh, they are very different. Um, not just the fact that he was uh, neurodivergent and she's neurotypical. Uh, but the fact that their personalities are very different, they like different things, and so we wouldn't, we would make sure that we didn't kind of club it together. That oh, okay, we are going for football, football class, Gayatri, you go for football class. We are eating this, you eat this, which made my life tougher. Uh, but I think eventually it helped with the kids. The other thing we realized is that, uh, and this is before V's diagnosis, which kind of held us in good stead after is that we will have to spend individual time with them. And so, uh, what that meant was that we made sure that we were spending a lot of time with Gayatri individually and a lot of time with Veer individually. And so, that really, really helped them. Uh, because we would do things like take her for breakfast, you know, and he was playing at home or take him to the play park and she would be at home. So that really helped us cultivate their, our individual relationships with them. And then of course, you know, split them up and split ourselves up also. So where I was with Peer and my husband was with Gayatri and vice versa. Uh, so I think so as a result, what happened was that uh, neither of them felt like the other one's getting all the attention, you know? Uh, and that helped in their own relationship because otherwise what happens very often is when you have a neurodivergent child or any child who has any different needs, the sibling is the first one who gets impacted because the focus goes completely on that child and the parents tend to neglect the sibling and what I've read about in a lot of cases is that that sibling really resents that, uh, you know, the, the neurodivergent sibling for taking away all the attention and no matter how old they are, no matter how much they might kind of rationalize it later on in life, that, that bond is not there. And I think because we did what we did, it's really touch would help to kind of cement the bond between my two. Um, so that was something that we did when we were uh, parenting these two. And it really, really helped. Right. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that perspective. And I think um, I think both of these themes are something that um, as a therapist, I think I've worked with. It's come up. This uh, theme you're talking about with the sibling of a child who has different needs. Uh, right. And I think you're so, I mean, this is such a, a wonderful way to, break it up and uh, I'm sure a lot of the audiences who are listening who either have twins or you know have a child uh, with different needs will find this uh, advice so useful because it, it makes a lot of sense right even with I mean we recommend this even when there is a sibling without any other you know um, uh, pre-requirements just having a sibling itself warrants having individual time with each of them uh, right which can help with the bonding which can help with the individuality but uh, thank you so much for sharing that um, I'm also just curious to know um, how have you uh, dealt with the you know obvious stresses pressures uh, and what's that emotional 
psychological journey been like for you? Um, so the emotional psychological journey is something which has covered all five stages of grief and beyond. Uh, it's something which I've written about extensively in my book, Beyond the Blue. And it started out with, um, no, my child cannot be autistic and went on to, um, you know, I try and figure out what, what I can do in terms of, uh, you know, if this happens, I can do this, you know, my child will start speaking, not, not speaking, but he was speaking, but, uh, you know, just trying to figure out various kind of things, extreme anger, a lot of anger, a uh, lot of sadness you know, where the littlest things would set me off. And finally, reaching a stage of acceptance. And that was the most amazing, amazing bit. Because when I accepted him, and more so, I think, when I uh, started talking about him and writing about him in my book, is when I could kind of reflect on the whole journey and really appreciate how far he's come and what all he's done and I literally like fell in love with him like nothing else you know it was just like my god um made me look at my family again and realize how what a what a long journey we have gone through and what an in it's been difficult but I think I think ultimately see this is where the spirituality angle comes in um because i think it it kind of makes you ultimately you are going to be given certain experiences in life okay whatever they are nobody has this completely rosy road that they travel through uh how you deal with how you respond versus react to those experiences how you deal with them what you do um what you make of your circumstances and situations is what determines what kind of life you will lead and if i was uh, and i i became a very very aware also very early on of my extreme privilege and how lucky i was i had a supportive family who was not blaming me for my child's condition as is the case with a lot of women in india especially uh, i had the financial means to be able to pay for therapy without worrying where my next meal is going to come from I had the ability to be able to research, read, write, uh, understand, be aware so that I, I wouldn't be taken advantage of, um, you know, when it comes to therapy or uh, to figure out what kind of therapy we wanted from him. I had the ability to be able to afford all the various kinds of resources that were needed. And so, uh, in that sense, and I had the ability to say, okay, I don't want to, I want to, don't want to work right now um, and be able to take a break to be able to be with my son and give him the kind of time that a lot of parents, a lot of mothers cannot do, right? Because they just need to work to put, put a meal on the table. Um, and so when I realized all that, I kind of felt that very, very important that I do something about it. Um, and that really led me to joining Umir, where Veer was diagnosed, um, which was, I mean, I went in there thinking, okay, three days a week, let me see. It was a 10-year love affair. Um, and um, 
it continued yeah for 10 years went on worked with lots of kids learned lots um, so in that sense i mean i think he has taught us so much uh, we have all learned as a family so much from him uh, because it's changed who we are i cannot imagine who we would be if veer and um, his neurodivergent condition was not in our life i i don't know i i cannot imagine us as what we would be maybe we would be uh, closer maybe we wouldn't i have no clue but i just know that the family that we have today and the love and the bonding that we have between us is very large because of who he is ah oh, thank you for sharing that that's so beautiful just to listen to uh and i think of course you know with all of um, the privileges you mentioned there's one i like to which i also call always uh, a privilege and that is of having being at a certain point in the journey right versus in the thick of it right in the thick of it it always feels so much uh like you said you know those five stages of grief and of course um grief can be so much more than that as well right it can look so different for so many of us and just being in that moment can be hard to step out and look that okay this is you know where it's going and um, i'm very intrigued about your journey of course uh working with umid um i have a lot of respect for umid and the work it does i think uh, being kind of uh, inside rights for 10 years that's been i i don't know the number of people i have directed there and you know um uh, of course we all know that uh, they're literally leaders in what they do right um, but as an individual who obviously had this experience and had then the chance to connect to families who were probably at an earlier stage of this experience or you know um, didn't have as much privilege as you uh, or yeah didn't have as many resources or access to resources what how was that whole experience what was or what would be advice you would give to somebody who's uh, at the beginning of this journey so i'll answer your first question first what it was like um i think in 10 years i must have worked with at least 400 or 500 families if not more um i haven't actually sat to count but uh, i've really you know they've covered literally the length and breadth of india in terms of where they are from um they have covered languages from you know various places uh it has covered uh, socio economic classes um and it has um also covered in terms of um, background you know and well as the way autism presents itself in the child so all these have together really combined to give me experiences and teach me things which i have would not have otherwise been able to learn at all uh each family has taught me something um and each experience has really led to um, you know very varied kind of learnings varied reflections that i have had 
and so really whether it has been somebody who has not been able to you know barely afford therapy um but still is committed to coming to the therapy center and give me ensure that their child has therapy to having people who are um you know literally have all the means in the world um and who are committed to their children to having parents who uh, have who are so depressed themselves that they cannot do anything and and realizing that it's not that they don't want to help their child but they are so kind of consumed in their own grief uh to having parents who say that we don't want to help just our children we want to help others you know and who are so empowered so there are there have been all sorts um there have been varied varied families that i've worked with varied kids i've worked with uh and really the stories that i have are, are i mean i would come home and you know we would sit at the dinner table and i would tell my family i say oh today you know i met a family from whatever uh because we would see families from all across the country and small little places you know where there were no resources and still they would say nahi kuch hamare you know bacche mein kuch hame alag dikhta hai aap kuch kijiye and they would come just on that basis and they would say don't worry we will come back you know and from wherever little flower far flung corner of the country they were in they would make sure that they would come in every six months or whatever it was I remember I had one mother who would come in every Tuesday morning. She would get up at five o'clock and take the train from Gujarat into Bombay, do therapy, and rush back with her kid. So that just to make sure that he would get his therapy. I mean, that kind of dedication is just unbelievable, you know. And and again, it, to come back to my point of privilege, it makes you realize that you have a car, driver, and everything, and then just, you know. you have nothing to complain about um and so really it was really quite amazing in terms of what all i learned coming to your second question about what i would tell uh, new mothers i think what i always tell new mothers and what i always tell new parents rather uh is that you know uh when it when it comes to uh realizing that your child is going to be different from others uh it it is difficult it's not it's not easy and of course you throw yourself into the whole thing you throw yourself into therapy you throw yourself into reading about it you throw yourself into learning more and more into meeting people and in that whole thing um you know if you have other kids you throw yourself into managing them the families the other people's expectations or uh, dealing with the stigma as well as all the questions and in that you tend to not focus on yourself you tend to neglect yourself i think for mothers as it is there is this whole kind of thing of putting the child first we all have a tendency of doing that especially when you throw a neurodivergent condition into the mix it is more so because your full condition or any kind of condition um it is it is much more so because you feel your child needs so much more support and who is going to give it you i learned this the hard way because i threw myself into it with so much kind of force in a sense that i did not do 
any kind of self care in that sense and when i talk about self care i'm not talking about pedicures or facials or whatever else it is so that's great i mean if they want to do that that's fine but what i'm talking about is taking time to be um you know easy on yourself taking time to understand where you are coming from what your feelings are what you are experiencing at the moment so i think the first thing i would say is really look after yourself be gentle give yourself a break uh, don't think that it's all on you i did that i thought it was all on me i thought only i can kind of help with this so really i i i learned this the very hard way because i completely burnt out um but it's not wrong to take time out for yourself it's not wrong to kind of rely on other people and the second thing is that um, now of course like you said earlier mental health is something which is become much more of a you know talked about thing it's become something which people talk about it's, it's not a, not taboo so much anymore it still is to a certain extent but not so much and so if you need to speak professional help do it i think maybe it would have helped if i had gone to a therapist but it just wasn't done at that time you know i mean I, when i say that time it may it sounds like i'm talking about 50 years ago but actually it was only 15 years ago um it just wasn't done even then even 15 years ago it wasn't something it was done or talked about nobody had and, and i had access to therapists that to me then um all that but i just didn't do it um so it's okay to talk to somebody else about how you're feeling and to to kind of you know you don't have to do it all you don't have to be superwoman uh and i just read this fantastic quote today on instagram which says that um it's part of an article and it says that uh the whole belief that girls can do anything should in no way become women have to do it all and that for me just hit home so much because yes of course we tell our girls i mean i have told my daughter you can do anything you want you know there's nothing you can't do and we're doing it to instill self confidence we're doing it to instill self esteem and to really really show girls um that the sky is the limit you can do anything you want but somewhere along the line it becomes women have to do it all and that is what is really especially when you have a child who is neurodivergent that you have to do it all and that is what breaks um and so please don't think you have to do it all right now and you don't have to do it all yourself rely on other people look after yourself and really create your village so that you can rely on other people and definitely i would say seek professional help those are my three main things to tell newly diagnosed with nice yeah absolutely thank you so much for that because i think that is literally uh, such a core idea of this entire endeavor uh, which is you know really to just break down uh, what is it that's expected of mothers today uh, you know and is it really is it even reasonable to think of you know like you said the superwoman almost like this multi-armed version of a human being you know where everything is being managed by this one person 
right if not physically then mentally they're like you know calculating and managing and doing everything together absolutely so so agree with you love what you said about self care it's my favorite rant by the way what what self care is not i have a list going on <laughs> i kind of you know keep adding to it uh, but yeah like you said it can be a part of you know it can look like uh, it but uh, uh, the 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 reference point i always give is just remember that no one needs to profit from your self care uh, and that for me is a central tenet uh, you know that it should be something you want to do not something that somebody else is selling you uh, to tell you that this is self care or this is what oh, i'll tell you what you need and this is what you need right because what we need can change every day it can change based on the phase of our life uh, it can change on you know so many external factors right so it's more for checking in of what do i need today and then meeting that need right versus having like uh, said this absolutely love that i have two questions to follow up uh, to what you said one is that um like you said that you had access to therapy but still you didn't go and you know so and of course there are so many uh, obstacles uh, to seeking help uh, right so i would love to know your thoughts about um what do you believe are those obstacles what are the things that you know uh, may motivate someone because this has been such a question i've been wrestling with lately uh, and that is how do you and imagine that's coming from somebody uh, like i professionally see clients as like my work okay uh, and to have loved ones and to try to convince them to seek help right and you know it's been such a theme i've been grappling with how do you convince someone how do you tell someone uh, to go get help of course i understand lastly it's their choice uh you know but i was just interested to know because you talked about that a little bit yourself uh so i grew up with the generation where somebody who went to a therapist firstly there weren't that many therapists that one knew of um secondly somebody who went to a therapist was uh i don't think frowned upon i don't think anyone would have frowned upon me if i'd gone but i think there was that also that that internal uh kind of believe that oh you deal with your problems yourself um so i don't think it was the stigma as much as the self reliance that oh i can do it myself um and i am somebody who's very self reliant in a sense if you tell me to to find out something instead of asking somebody i'll google it uh, which is as we know doesn't always offer the best solutions but still it is something that i will do um i'll say why can't we do this ourselves you know and try and figure that out i think that's just how my parents were and uh, that's how i was brought up and uh, so this whole thing of i will figure it out myself i'll deal with it myself is something which is great i think it's a fabulous thing but there are some things which you cannot deal with by yourself and uh, so i think when it comes to um you know therapy seeking therapy i was hesitant just because i figured it's not such a big deal uh, again when you talk about the bigger picture and the size of the problem i would say oh but i have uh, such a supportive family i work within the, the the space i do this i do that you know i'm so privileged why do i need therapy so it was like a reverse kind of thing you know i've got everything what could i possibly need therapy for um without realizing that i might have benefited from it and so of course i had my own mechanisms where i kind of with time with lots of you know 
and I'm very, very lucky to have a very supportive husband. Um, I think a supportive partner is somebody who can really help in that sense. And um, so I managed to kind of solve things within my head for myself. But I really do feel that when it comes to therapy and convincing people, I really think it is like you can take the horse, the horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. Um, and so I have numerous friends, uh, family, uh, who um, you know can who would benefit so much from therapy, uh, whom I've spoken to, but ultimately it's resulted in you know what I can figure it out myself. I can sort sort this out myself. And so then at that point of time, all you can do is just be there to listen. You can't physically drag them to therapy. You cannot do that. Um, I think that is why mental health needs to become as much of a normal thing. I hate the word normal uh, under, norm, under normal circumstances. But I think it has to be very normalized. It has to become as much a part of life as if you break your, your bone, you're going to go see the doctor, right? So why wouldn't you do that if you're feeling disturbed? If you have fever, you're going to go see the doctor. You're not going to sit at home. You're going to seek help. Um, and I think the more we kind of create this merger between mental health and physical health, uh, between mental health practices and allopathy, uh, I think it will become more normalized. Because in our country, we revere doctors. For us, a doctor is akin to God. And so... We need to start doing that with mental health professionals mm -hmm. as well. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more mental health professionals that there are out there, the more it is uh, destigmatized in a sense. The more people will be able to seek mental health support and really have having access uh, to more and more professionals, um, destigmatizing it and just realizing that it is a priority, which honestly, I think the silver lining of the pandemic has been just that, the fact that it has really brought mental health out there um, at the cost of a lot of people who have suffered a lot um, is the only silver lining I can see. But I think that's what is needed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love uh, that. And I think, uh, so, you know, this is something that I can probably relate to a little bit as well. Uh, because, you know, um, of course, we've been trained to understand that uh, therapy is not just about it's it's about seeing parts of yourself that you're obviously not seeing yourself. Right. It is uh, it is a mirror uh, if it's at, at its best. It's a mirror. Right. Uh, so, of course, uh, I, I go to therapy myself because it's part of uh, me being a good therapist, an accountable right. therapist is to be ensure that I have. Uh, exactly. done the work that I need to do because you know otherwise it just doesn't make any sense right uh, but at the same time I find that um, another way that I try to convince loved ones uh, and I'm just putting this here uh, since we're talking about it is that we often think of therapy within the realm of something I'm doing for myself right so I try to work on that theme of not it's not it's not for you just your loved ones will benefit more also if you've kind of you know um figured out some stuff that you're working on or struggling with yeah because naturally it's a ripple effect right it's like i i would often tell uh families that autism is uh not a, an individual condition it's a family condition 
okay because it impacts so many things it impacts social life shall i take my child to this birthday party or not or uh, shall we go for a where shall we go for a holiday how do we greet there shall we go to a restaurant or uh, shall we go to the park these are all things that we do to be social they all make up our lives and the same thing is with therapy that when you do do access therapy you do kind of commit to therapy uh, you are not only improving your life or uh, you are improving the lives of those around you and that is something which is so important yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah so that's one uh, thing the other question i had was you know since you mentioned about this beautiful quote on instagram and of course uh, the way we talk to our girls right which brings me to my my favorite and very obvious question <laughs> are you a feminist and does your being a feminist affect impact uh, shape your mothering style or you know uh, other aspects of your so i like to think of myself as a feminist i don't know if i am or not i don't know if i qualify as a feminist but i like to think of myself as one um when it comes to my mothering style oh definitely i mean absolutely um so my kids are not um they are they are new age woke kids um they are uh, my daughter especially is extremely woke um and uh, in a sense if you were to look at the dynamic of a traditional indian family we have a boy and a girl um and my son is the one who's neurodivergent my daughter is the one who's neurotypical and so my daughter is the one who's the one who's given a lot more responsibility the one who's making all the decisions and things like that which if you look at in a traditional indian family setup is not the case right i mean you to look at it very very on a very traditional family setup um i suspect that were my son neurotypical as well it would be pretty much the same thing i don't think it's that he would necessarily be the one you know assuming more responsibility or taking more decisions or whatever it was i think it would be pretty much the same as a mother my um the way i have brought my kids up has been i think in a sense genderless you know like it's not been that because you are a girl do this or because you are a boy do this. it's like both of you pick up your plates and put them in the kitchen i mean you know that's the way it is both of you make your bed uh both of you do this so it it's almost been like in our house we have have this thing this like you know veer gaya come on let's do this you know so it it it's one word almost uh and that's the way it's been it's not like veer do this because you're a boy or guys we do this because you're a girl it's just both of you do this and i don't think i've thought about it um my daughter's a real feminist she is uh very woke like i said she studied in feminism as um a topic in school and we would have a lot of debates and she would and would at that time and continues to uh have great fun arguing vociferously with anybody who uh kind of has anything to say to the contrary um and so yeah i think in terms of my mothering it's i don't think i thought about doing it from a feminist lens it's just that it what applies to one applies to both uh and so i guess yes that would be genderless it would be uh very woke of me it would be very feminist of me i don't think so i think it's i'm just just being their mother and getting them to do whatever they have to do um so yeah that's definitely the way it is 
Uh, we have uh, lots of interesting discussions on um, why why should Harry Styles wear a skirt because he wants to, uh, or um, you know the various kind of uh, use of pronouns. And uh, I think I have to say that because of my daughter, I've become a semi woke mother. I would like to give myself that title. I think I am. I don't know if she'll agree, but definitely I am much more aware of all the various, um, you know, diverse and wonderful kind of things that exist out there. And uh, I'm very happy to embrace them. Right. I love that. Absolutely. I think this, uh, the, the, generations after us are such a lovely window uh, you know um, uh, absolutely relate to that I think I, I I often find myself in spaces and groups with people much younger to me and you know I reflect a lot on why is that the case uh, and I think it's just because it, it there is something about these new questions that really draw me uh, yeah. into it you know and like you said these questions about uh, gender and you know uh, diversity sexuality all of these questions really draw me in uh, so yeah I, 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 I mean I'm almost um, uh, almost wanting to eavesdrop on one of your <laughs> home conversations <laughs> because it's, it's always lovely to have a very young feminist because it's such a different point of view you know and sometimes I Absolutely. feel like experience can be a weight you carry uh, you know because it, it kind of uh, obstructs you from opening up very much you know uh, and at least that's how it's been for me I don't know whether yeah. that's what it's been like for you so I have to constantly check my experience and be like that has been my experience doesn't have to be everybody else's it can be <laughs> otherwise and yeah it's like a constant you know uh, learning and rather humbling journey because on and on and I love the way you said I think I am a feminist <laughs> and I think I can do yeah, I don't know I mean you know I I don't I don't uh... I don't think I make a big deal of it mm. in that sense. And uh, as we know, in social, the, the social media generation, everything is made a big deal of. <laughs> uh, but for me, it's actually really simple. It is that what you do, you do. And what you do, you do. It's the same. It's just a level playing field. I'm not going to give one child uh, more privileges, opportunities, access than the other one. Because that's just... I mean, why would I do that? It's just, it's not that you're doing something because you're a boy or not doing something because you're a girl or vice versa. Um, it's just the way it is. And um, like I said, I mean, even if I had two neurotypical children, I suspect it would be pretty much the same. Right. You know, so I'm going to inter kind of disagree or intersect a little bit and be like, I think you're much more a feminist than that because everything that you talked about in terms of uh, being aware of your privilege, being aware of how different people come from different positions, how their identities affect the decisions and choices and hence their journeys. I think that is like uh, absolutely uh, bang on feminism for you because that's exactly <laughs> what we're talking about, right? That we're not right. seeing ourselves as a prototype. Right, because we're not yeah. the prototype, right? We're 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 the exception, if anything, if if uh, if anything else, right? So I think that itself, awareness of privilege, awareness of you know these different intersections that come in in identities, you work absolutely from that center space. So you yeah. know, uh, that's why it's simple for you. Uh, you know, I think otherwise it's it's easy to uh, do the presentation, but not the living of it. Uh, you know, okay. and it's that's it's always true. it's okay. the living yeah, of yeah, it. I'm a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so thank you for uh, sharing that.
Right. So a very related question to, you know, what you're talking about since we've been talking about self-care and this whole aspect of, you know, how that is the thing that goes out of the window first. Uh, and that brings me to another thing that, you know, uh, has come up a lot, still comes up a lot. Uh, and I'm very curious about, and that is mom guilt. Uh, right. Mm. And I think that's been one of the other unifying experience across all, you know, uh, mothering journey. So just want to know your experience with it, thoughts on it. How do you navigate it? How do you, you know, uh, work through it? Oh, God, I think I continue to experience mom guilt. I just about like, I think I've just about shared it. And my children are 17 and a half. So you can imagine how long it kind of sat on my head. Um, it's something which I know I, I you know every time I write about it I say you should ditch it and stuff like that but it's, it's tougher to get rid of than, than you can, can say um, I don't know why it's there you know it's stupid my husband goes out he's out whatever he's traveling he doesn't get any guilt why should I be lumped with it but it's just there I have no idea why it's there um, but I think um I think mom guilt is also linked to a lot of judgment. Okay, so those who don't have it and are out and about working or traveling or just generally going out anywhere uh, are branded bad mothers. You know, uh, people who are not kind of paying attention to their children, people who are uh, just always out and about. Uh, working all odd hours of the day and look at that person she's such a bad mother uh, on the other hand there's no bad father right I mean you know you miss one sports day I mean this is this is like an age-old debate right you miss one sports day or one annual concert or whatever you're a bad mother the father who comes comes over there wow so it makes one one appearance it's like great um I don't know. I and, and it's not even an Indian thing. You know, it's the world over. It is just what it is. And um, so I think, honestly, I hope new age mothers are more, are, are not kind of, kind of plagued by mom guilt. But from what I can see, it's much more because they're like these helicopter moms who are like totally on their children and want to know everything about their kids. I think it's something which is very individual, honestly. Um, I think if you want, it is something which only you experience. And no matter how much somebody else might say, you don't need to feel guilty. If you feel guilty, you feel guilty. Looking back on my life, um, would I have felt less guilty? Uh, yes. Uh, but then again, a lot of times my choice to be with my kids was a choice that I made because I wanted to be with them and not because of mom guilt. Um, and, I, and I think that when I look back, would my career have been different? Would my life have been different? Would I have gone out more? Would I have worked more or differently? Um, yes, maybe I would have. But I think ultimately uh, it's, a, it's a choice that I'm okay with. Uh, I would say that ultimately, you know, whatever said and done, yes, of course, it helps to have the time you spend with your children is important. Okay. Whether it's the mother or the father, ideally it should be both. But of course, it's important that you spend time with your kids. And so if you're, not, if you're out and about and not seeing your kids for days, 
and not experiencing mom guilt, then maybe you should experience some, right? Uh, but on the other hand, uh, if you do have a life for yourself, you do work, you do spend, you know, you're not home every night at five o'clock occasionally, or you're, you've got a meeting or something, and you stay out a little later, uh, if you have reliable help that you are comfortable with, um, if you do go out with your friends or do go out on a holiday and make sure that your kid is safe, it's not going to damage the relationship or, um, you know, it's, it's not going to have a very negative impact on your kid. So it's okay to take that time out for yourself, right? Um, as long as it's not an extreme. The thing is, you have to be comfortable with what your decision is. And you need to know that your child is physically safe as well as psychologically safe. Okay. As long as that is okay, I think it's fine. So I think mom guilt needs to really go. Um, I wish I knew how to do it. I wish I knew how I could have shed it all those years ago. But um, it's something which, yes, definitely was a very, very big part of my life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, uh, that's that's why I always ask this question because it's such a universal experience and which is why my personal belief is that this is very much connected to this exalted, almost superhuman expectation we have from mothers, uh, right? That there is no individual who can actually do, do it all. There is no such thing, uh, right? Because it is by far like a very, you know, uh, extraordinary expectation that we have. Uh, from this one individual uh, right and I talk a lot also about monomaternism this whole thing even when you rely on help you have this compulsion to feel like but the child is attached more to me now those are the themes that come up a lot right when you deal with help and uh, those kind of things because again the idea is in our head is that if I'm the mother I'm the mother right I'm not I'm the caregiver you know, it has, everything else has to be around, everything has to be, you know, between me and the child and those kinds of narratives. So, of course, that's literally the core of, you know, what we're trying to do here. We're really trying to deconstruct uh, what is this, you know, being a mother actually like, you know, does it help to have mom guilt? <laughs> really, in any way, does it? I think, you know? I honestly think that um, it's, it's a little bit like, um, you know, because you are the center of your child's universe as a mom okay you really really are and as much as you want to shrug off your kids at from time to time and say oh god just give me five minutes break and don't follow me to the bathroom um of course you get validation from it you know you are the center of the universe wouldn't you get validation from being the center of anybody's universe of course you would so it's, it's a very confusing emotion you know uh, there is validation, there is fear that if I am not with my kids, what will people say? There is um, expectation from families and society. Uh, there is um, the whole judgment on other people who are not with their kids. At the same time, there is a little feeling of FOMO for going out, of not being able to go out there and enjoy your life. It's very complicated. I don't think it's a singular emotion at all. And that's why I say it's very personal. I mean, you know, honestly, I feel that if there is a um, mother who is working all day and who has ensured that her kid is looked after, if the child is 
healthy and happy and the mother is giving that child the time when she comes home whether it is at 8 o'clock at night or at whatever time it is uh, at whatever time she is giving that child that time that's her individual choice i don't think we can kind of comment on it no absolutely i can so really and it's 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 a very close home question which i i know which is why it's like you know very uh, rot and i just want to add one layer to this something that probably um now we're talking a lot more about uh, like there's a term adolescence there's also a term matrescence which basically is the transition of a woman from woman to the role of a mother right and pretty much like we don't expect adolescents to behave very much like adults like they don't suddenly wake up one day and now you are an adult there's like a transition period that can get pretty rough uh, i think same is the case for when you're transitioning into this role of motherhood uh, right there is and we can all relate to that right you know the big emotions the ups and downs all of that and in that there's a very beautiful concept she talks about which is very similar to what you uh, were mentioning which is the push and pull right so there will be for every single thing including spending time with your child trying to do something you used to like to do there will be a push and there will be a pull and that's what that whole entire phase in detention is about you want to spend every minute with your child you don't want to let go of your old identity uh, you want to give everything up you know for this child you don't want to give anything up to this new uh, so it's like this constant like you uh, perfectly you know uh, framed it this opposing forces going on uh you know but here's the problem with uh mother mom guilt and you know it also robs us away from our active active choice to want to be with our child right because it's expected of us so we also don't experience the joy of you know i'm not going to turn into work today for whatever this and i'm going to spend my day with my son right it's not seen as special even in our own heads because it's like ye to karna hi hai na tum to ho hi ma you have to you know you know so that robbing away is also for me very you know um, a part of or the reason why i keep asking about this and talking about this and you know hope to bring in more narratives about it you know because really who does it benefit uh, you know who does this having this whole big burden on all the mothers head who does it really benefit uh, right sure. and i think they should have another stage which is what i'm currently in and what a lot of my friends are in which is when you have to let go of your children and let them out into the world <laughs> so that is another stage yeah kind, i think there is emptiness but not when they that's like more when they are out and about in the world but i know it is that the whole period of yeah. the letting the go the whole period yeah uh, yeah you know absolutely maybe you can you can coin a term for that <laughs> one and write a book on the, the next one can be on this <laughs> thank you so much for all of your insights and uh sharing so generously of your entire experience and actually humoring me with all my <laughs> questions and aspects and angles uh i really appreciate uh, the time you shared with us over here uh and i hope we can also at some point have you back again talking about maybe something else uh and continue this engagement and this journey thank you so much vina it was a pleasure and made me also really think about so many things <laughs> uh which i think i had thought about for a long time but uh, it was really nice it was lovely to have this conversation that was slightly different and really made me relive in a sense my entire journey of motherhood uh which is always a lovely thing yeah thank you so much for bringing all of that here with us uh, have a lovely day thank you you too bye